This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening. Once again, I'd like to thank uh, David Solomon for arranging this and putting this together. To see the island continues to come. Chalt must be good. Oh Hashem for that. And we get to uh, learn something as well. This week's Parsha, Parsha Vieira, we're introduced to Yitzchak. We don't hear much about Yitzchak. We hear the beginning, then we hear it goes to, to the Akedah. In the middle, a little uh, incident with Yishmael, and that's about it. The beginning of the parasha also is when Sarah hears that she's going to have a child. And at the end of last week's parasha, shortly before, Avram hears from Kadesh Baruch Hu that he's going to have a child. So the Pasuk here says, in Perikid Zion, Pasuk Yud starts off by telling us about Sarah. Terah says that Sarah's going to have a child. And when he's told he's going to have a child, the Pasuk says, Vayipal Avram Alpanav, Avram falls on his face, Vayitzchak, and he laughs. So right away, Rashi over here asks, well-known Kasha. So over here we find that Avram laughs. Later on we find when Sarah finds out that she's going to have a child, very similar words, except Lashon Nekeva, V'titzchak Sarah Bekirba. And Sarah laughs. Exact same word here, it's V'titzchak Lashon Nekeva. And here, it's V'yitzchak, V'yitzchak Lashon Zachar. And we find over here that the reactions to their laughing is very different. And Rashi tells us right away, that over here, Zet Targum Unglis Lashon Simcha, the Chadi. Over here, when Avram laughed, it was a Lashon of Simcha, he was very happy, he rejoiced. The Shalsara, that's Lashon Machaich. The Sarah, her laughter, it was a type of laughter, the Matash of Avram Hemin. Avram believed what was going to happen. The Samach, so he would rejoice. The Sarah Layamino, Sarah did not believe. The Ligla, and she scoffed at this. The Zel Shikhbir Kadish Baruch, while Sarah, the Lehikhbir Al Avram. Rashi is explaining from Unklis, Avram and Sarah, if you watch them, on a screen, they're doing the same thing. Each one was told that they're going to have a child. Avram laughs, and Sarah laughs. And yet we find that nothing happens when Avram laughs. And yet when Sarah laughs, she's criticized. And Rashi explains, very simple, when Avram laughed, he was laughing, he was rejoicing. And when Sarah laughed, she was scoffing. She said, it's impossible, it's not going to happen. Now, every time I learn this Rashi, it seems like it's one of these Rashis where the answer is made for the question. You have a very strong question, so you work out the situation that the answer fits. But it's a very strong kasha. The words are the same. If the Torah wanted to go and show one incident that they're different, in this case, use different words of all places. Mamash, the exact same word. But Yitzchak and the Titzchak, the same exact word, Lashon Zachar and Lashon Nekeva. Not only that, another kasha is is that later on, when Sarah has the, the news that she's going to have a child, and she laughs, and the Kosh Baruch Hu comes over to Avram, and he says, Why did Sarah laugh? I'm so old, and I can't have a child. So now she asks, Shina Kosov. She said, I'm so old, and my master is old. And when Hashem comes over to Sarah, he says that Sarah said that she's old. 
And Hashem doesn't say that she said that my master is old. So Rashi says, Shinai Kasev, the Torah changed it a little. But Pnei Hashalim, in order for peace, Sharei Hi Amra, Vadeni Zakein. You know, when you go to court today, they say, do you swear to say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Hashem didn't lie. He just didn't say the whole truth. And yet the Torah says, you have to change it, so Avram shouldn't be upset. Nobody likes to hear that they're old. Even people who are almost 100 years old don't like to hear that they're old. And therefore, Hashem changed it. I never understood this. If Hashem didn't want Avram to be angry at Sarah for speaking that way about him, I have a better idea. Let him go over to Sarah. Sarah, why'd you laugh? Sarah's a big girl. Sarah was a tremendous Nevi'ah. Why didn't he just go over straight to Sarah? Avram's not Sarah's father. Why, why does he have to go over to Avram for? If he's concerned how Avram's going to feel about Sarah, go straight to Sarah. Why did he have to go to Avram first? The Ramban learns a little similar to Rashi, but different as well. Just to point out that Sarah seemed to have a difficult time with Yitzchak. The whole story of Yitzchak. As soon as he hears that gonna, she hears that Yitzchak is going to be born, again, she's criticized for her reaction. And if you go all the way to the end of her life, we find that how did Sarah die? Sarah dies by hearing that her husband is shechting her son, and that's how she dies. What a terrible way for her to die. And these are the, the bookends of her life with Yitzchak. Is there a connection between the two? And if there is, what, what lesson could we learn from this? So it's interesting, if we look at the Ramban, the Ramban learns a little different. And the Ramban says that Avram was told by Hashem that he's going to have a child. He's told by Hashem himself he's going to have a child. And what's his reaction? Hashem comes over to him and says, Your wife, her name is Sarai. Sarai means my governor, my ruler, my Sar. We're going to change that to Sarah. Just plain governor, plain ruler. Not just over my ruler, but everyone, Sarah. And now you're going to have a child. And that's what he tells him. What's Avram's reaction? Avram falls, to his, falls down to the floor and he says, Really? I'm almost 100 years old. My wife Sarah's 90 years old, almost 90 years old. We're going to have a child? And Rashi says we're supposed to read those psukim as if he's saying it out of joy. It seems to be the other way around. It sounds pretty skeptical that he's saying, he's falling down, he says, I'm 100, my wife's 90, we're going to have a child? And that's not skeptical. How do you touch your next words? He tells Hashem, Lu Yishmol Hashem, thank you for promising me a child. Halavai, my son Yishmol, should remain alive. Again, that doesn't sound like he's so uh, sure about this. He says, I don't know if we can have another child or not, but at least let Yishmol live. So how is this supposed to work over here when Hashem tells us to Avram, and this is Avram's, this is Avram's response. And Hashem tells Avram straight out, Sarah's body will be young again. And yet Avram says these words, Lu So the Rabban learns as follows. The Rabban learns a little like Rashi, but a little different than Rashi. And he says as follows. When Avram said, I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90 years old, Avad, he was saying it out of tremendous joy. Wow, it's amazing. I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90, we're going to have a child. Unbelievable. And what did he mean when he said, Lu so earlier, Hashem told him, by the brisbane of Sarim, when Avram said, what do I gain by getting all these riches? I don't have any children. So Hashem said, don't worry, you'll have a child. 
And that child will be your Yairish. So Avram, the Rabban says over here, was very excited to hear he's going to have a child. But he turns to Hashem, he says, Hashem, thank you very much. But if you're telling me I'm going to have a child, this child is going to be my Yairish, so what's going to be with Yishmol? Until now I thought Yishmol was going to be my Yairish. And now you're telling me you're going to have another child, and that child is going to be my Yairish. So the only way to around this is you're going to kill Yishmol. Lu yicha Yishmol lefanecha, says Nurban. Please, thank you very much for Yitzchak, but please let my son Yishmol live as well. And that's how the Ramban learns. And with this, the Ramban explains the difference between Avram and Sarah, of how they laughed, what happened here. And the Ramban writes, V'titzach Sarah, V'kirba, it says, Lelag, Takashi was scoffing at it. And she didn't believe it, so it's ridiculous. But she still didn't do anything wrong. Why didn't she do anything wrong? She's laughing, she hears from the Malach, she didn't have a child, why, did she, why isn't that doing something wrong? So Ramban said, who told this to Sarah? Who told this to Sarah? Three strangers are walking by. They just got a free meal. They got some beautiful hospitality. So of course they're going to give the host a, a blessing. So they gave a brach, you should have a child. They don't know Avram, they don't know Sarah. They gave a brach, you should have a child. Sarah hears that, she starts to laugh. And you can imagine this couple walking down a beach. And all of a sudden they look down, they see on her finger, her ring is missing the diamond. Not a good place to lose a diamond on a, on a sandy beach. So they quickly start looking, they're looking, they're looking two, three hours, of course they can't find it. And all of a sudden they hear a guy screaming at them, hey, hey, you're looking for something. And they look up, there's this elderly man in a wheelchair, sitting in a wheelchair on the beach, enjoying the view. And he says, what are you guys looking for? He says, oh, my wife's diamond, it fell down. He says, I see something sparkling over there. They quickly run to look, and sure enough, it's a diamond. They pick it up, they're so excited, they go over to the man, thank you so much. They look and says, I, I, I give you a blessing that you should run in the 400 meter dash in the Olympics this summer. The guy looks at them, he's sitting in a wheelchair, he's an old man, what kind of blessing is that? What response do you expect this guy to give? He's out in the sun too much. And yet, what do you think happened here? Three strangers are walking by, they get a free meal, they give a, a bracha, this 100-year-old, a 90-year-old should have a child, and she's expected to answer, Amen. Of course she laughed. Sarah didn't do anything wrong, says Nurban. But if that's the case, if that's the case, we still have to figure out, why is it that Hashem goes over to Avram and says, Lama Sarah. So then what, what does she do wrong? Why is Hashem even telling that to Avram? And the answer explains some of the Rishayim as follows. That, of course, Sarah didn't do anything wrong. When did Sarah find out she's going to have a child? She found that she's going to have a child. These three, what she didn't know, three Malachim. When did Avram find out he's going to have a child? Earlier. Why didn't Avram tell Sarah that they're going to have a child? So Ravon writes, an amazing thing. The reason why Avram didn't tell Sarah, that is, can you imagine? They're married quite a few years. He comes home, guess what? Hashem told him we're going to have a child. He doesn't do that. Why not? Says Ramban, he was busy. He was too busy. Too busy doing what? Giving people brismila. He was too busy. He didn't tell her. Comes along Hashem to Avram and says, Avram, why did Sarah laugh? You know why Sarah laughed? 
Because you, Avram, didn't do what you were supposed to do. This criticism of Lama Tzachaka Sarah was not a criticism of Sarah. If Hashem wanted to criticize Sarah, Hashem's not scared. Hashem could go over to Sarah. Sarah, why'd you laugh? You don't have to involve Avram. The reason why Hashem went over to Avram is because he was telling Avram, Avram, why did Sarah laugh? If you, Avram, would have done the correct thing, Sarah wouldn't have laughed. If you would have told her that I said she's going to have a child, then when these people came and were going to say that you're going to have a child, she would have said, Amen. The brothel would have been stronger. Because of you, she didn't do that. And therefore, the criticism is a view of Ram. And that's why Hashem didn't go over to Sarah. Hashem went over directly, directly to Avram. And with this shot now, we can understand what was going on over here. And of course, he didn't have to go and say that she said, my master is old, no reason to cause that pain to Avram. However, Sarah, on the other hand, was still one of the seven Nevias of the world. And she was a tremendous tzedekis. And therefore, says the Chassam Sefer, a frightening thing. Chassam Sefer brings down, from the Sefer Paneach Raza, and the Sefer Chassidim brings down as well, that Lamaisa Sarah did have, there is a tain on Sarah. And he quotes from Ramban, that Sarah should have said, Amen. Who, what, Amen for what? Amen, for this crazy bracha, these three strangers show up and give you this crazy bracha. Amen. Do you know the power of words? Someone says something, you say Amen. That example of the people on the beach, give the guy this bracha, he should run the marathon. In the Olympics, Amen. You don't believe in the power of words. Baruch Shomer, Island, the world was created words, you say Amen. Says the Chassam Seifer, that because of that, Sarah was punished, Mida Kenegamida. What was the Mida Kenegamida? The Midah was that after the Akedah, so we know that someone comes over to Sarah, the Malach comes over to Sarah, and says, Sarah, where's Yitzchak? Oh, Yitzchak, Yitzchak went with Avram to Yeshiva. He's been home for 37 years, time to go out of town. He's going to Yeshiva. He says, no, that's not where they went. So where did they go? He says, he didn't tell you? He's going to Shech Yitzchak. So what are you talking about? Yeah, he's going to Shev Yitzchak. She went to the giants. She says to him, could you look around if you see my husband? And they looked around. They say, yeah, we see an old man bent over, a younger man with a knife about to kill him. She hears this, and her neshama says, I'm out of here. And that's how she dies. Says the Chassam Seifer, that was Mida Kineg and Mida. When she was supposed to believe the Malachim, she didn't believe. When they told her she was going to have a child. So now, when she wasn't supposed to believe... She did. When the Malachim earlier were telling her the truth, she didn't say Amen. So because of that, later on, she believed what wasn't true, that they shafted Yitzchak, and that's how she died. So you see, says the Chassam Seifer, a very short Ramban, that, uh, the, the Chassam Seifer, how important it is to go in the Kosh Baruch Hu, when someone says something to you, you say Amen. That's how much trust we have in the Kosh Baruch Hu, because nothing's impossible. Nothing is impossible. But you can also say another reason of what happened by Sarah. If you think about it, the death that Sarah went through was such a horrible death. What was the death? That your husband is killing your only son. And that's how she died. And the worst part of the whole thing is, it wasn't even true. And yet that's how she's dying. So what happened by the Kedah? So you know, Kaj Baruch who goes over to Avram and speaks in a pleading, in a pleading tone. 
pleading words, Kach, no, please take. What's the please? The other Nisyanis didn't get a please. The message tells us that, Avram, that Hashem was telling Avram that you have to pass this test. This is the last one. But if you don't pass this test, the other ones that people are going to say they, weren't, uh, they didn't count really, they weren't so hard. This is the one you have to pass this test. So Avram goes, what's he supposed to tell Sarah? He doesn't tell Sarah. He's not telling Sarah about this. He says, yeah, we're talking going to Yeshiva. Takes Yitzchak and they go. He comes there and he goes to the Kedah. Now, when Sarah finds out about this, and she dies, there's an obvious question. Sarah was 127 years old. Was she supposed to die then or not? You know, I say people, people are like balls of milk. We all come with expiration dates. You put it in the freezer, you live a little longer. You leave it on the counter, you leave a little earlier. What was Sarah's expiration date? Was she supposed to die at 127 or not? If she's supposed to die at 127... What's this whole nice with the Satan coming and making up a whole story? She's supposed to die, let her die and finish. LMI, she's supposed to live longer. So how could the Satan come make up a story to kill her if she's not supposed to die? So as far as I'm explaining, is that what happened was, Avram was going to do the Keda, and the Satan realized if he lets Avram do this, he's finished. He's out of business. So he does everything he can to stop Avram. He goes running, he says, Avram, where are you going? I'm going to, to learn. No, you're not. You're going to shut your son. Why are you doing that? Don't talk to me. And he goes, and the Satan tried many things. He puts water in front of them, and Avram tried to go. Then Hashem tells the Satan to go away. And he goes, and he does the Akedah. He does everything the way Kodesh Baruch wanted. Now the Satan realizes he lost. He's finished. And then the Satan realizes, I have one more ace up my sleeve. One more trick I have. Avram's going to come home. He's going to tell Sarah what happened. Sarah's, Sarah's dead. She's there, lying on the kitchen floor. She's dead. What happened? What happened? He's going to find that. You know what happened? She heard that you shafted your son. That's how she died. And for a moment, Avram is going to have a twinge of regret. What did I do? That twinge of regret is going to go, and be a, a chink in the armor. It's going to go and downgrade Avram's success with that in the side. And that was his plan. That's what the Chavetz Chaim teaches. We say, Satan We all know the Satan tries to stop us from doing a mitzvah. What happens after you do the mitzvah? You know, a guy can go, he can sit and learn, be mice and efforts to learn for five years, very little money. Then he goes to work, he starts to make a lot of money, and thinks to himself, ha, if I would have gone to work four years earlier, you know how much money I would have now? And in a second, he just threw out all those years of learning. The ATR gets you from both sides. And that's what he tried to do over here. The Nisayin was, that's why some people say, what was the tenth Nisayin of Avram? The tenth Nisayin was burying Sarah. What do you mean burying Sarah to find her the place? No. Coming home and finding her dead because of the Akedah and Avram not having Harata. That was the Nisayin. And that's what he tried to do. And that's why she died that way. In order to try to downgrade Avram's success with Akedah. But that still leaves us with a question. And that is, what's Takib Shat that Sarah died when she heard about the Akedah? We know that Sarah was a great person. You know, Shem tells Sarah, Shema B'Kaila, Avram has to listen to Sarah for some things. She was, in a, she was a tremendous Nevi'ah. Why is it that Avram hears, Hashem says, go shaft your son? Not a problem. As soon as Yitzhak finds out about it, not a problem. Sarah finds out about it, she can't handle it, she's dead. 
How come they can handle it and Sarah can't handle it? So you say over that the Sklana Rebbe, Hantik Rebbe's father, after the Holocaust, he was in Romania still. And the Sklana Rebbe does, was doing what he does, and that is to spread Yiddishkeit. He was traveling around to establish places of learning, small chadarim, mikvahs. And every time the Romanian government, the government would find him, they'd throw him in jail. And every time they'd throw him in jail, there'd be a big outcry by the Yidden in London and America, and they would take him out. The fourth time they took him and they threw him in jail, they took off his yarmulke, they threw him in a dark cell, and they said, that's it. I don't care what happens, you're staying here until you're not alive anymore. They threw him inside, and they shut the door, and that was it. And they were bringing food, and that was you stuck in this dark, damp cell. He's sitting there, he said, oh, okay, I'm not getting any phone calls here, there's nothing I can do, I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to dive in like a mensch finally. And he starts to daven. He's davening slowly, mila b'mila, every word. And he comes to Baruch Shomar, and he's saying Baruch Shomar carefully. He comes to the words, Baruch Gezer Mekayim. Blessed is Hashem who decrees, and He's Mekayim the decree. And he stops, and he thinks, Baruch Gezer Mekayim. A decree is not, everybody has to have extra ice cream. The connotation of the word decree is not something so good. Why are we saying Baruch Gezer Mekayim? Blessed is Hashem who decrees and he keeps his decrees. Doesn't sound so good. And Sklenarev thinks himself, I'm davening all these years and it never bothered me. I'm not going further. I'm sitting here on these words until I can figure out what I'm saying all these, time, all these years. And he's sitting there thinking and thinking. And then finally he smiles. He says, he knows Pshat. He said, imagine you take somebody and you take, put him in a room and you lock him in the room and you say, I'm going to be back in six hours. This whole room, here's a bucket of paint. This whole room better be painted green when I get back. And he walks out and he slams the door shut. Okay, you have no choice. You go, you open the bucket of paint and it's red. How could that be? How could the guy expect you to paint the room green if the bucket's red? It's impossible. That would never happen. Said this Glenn Rebbe, a Baruch gives people in his sinus. But a Kodesh Baruch who gives them the ability to accomplish that in the sign. Baruch Geyser, blesses he who makes the decree, Umekayim, and he sustains the person through that decree. Because he wants the person to pass that decree. And the sign is not meant to fail. A Kodesh Baruch gives the sign to pass. That's what the words we say, Baruch Geyser, Umekayim. Kodesh Baruch who gives the strength to, 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 to sustain the decree. So that's a shot over here by that Kedah. Avram got the Nisayin to have the Nekedah, and Yitzhak got the Nisayin to have the Nekedah, and therefore they had the Kayach to go through it. However, Sarah, she didn't have that Nisayin. Hashem wasn't going to tell her about it, Avram wasn't going to tell her about it. She never had that Nisayin, and therefore she didn't get that ability to live through it. And therefore when she was told about it, that's why she couldn't, she couldn't handle it. They say over by the Kotsk, a person once came for Shabbos, he was on a business trip, and they're sitting there, it's about a half hour before Shabbos, the shul is filling up, people will be out in Mab, etc. And also someone comes running in. He said he heard the next city, there was a tremendous fire, half the town burned down. And this guy who was there, this businessman who was there, faints. They hit the run, they pour water on him to revive him. And he gets up, he says, what, well, where was the fire? And they tell him. And again he faints. They pour water on him again. And again he wakes up. He says, the fire, and this is that city, that's my city. And again he faints. 
This time the Kotsky Rebbe said, I'll take care of it. He poured water on him and he wakes up again. He says, what happened with this fire? He says, yeah, yeah, you're right. There was a fire in the town, half the town burned down, but your factory wasn't touched. Oh, okay. He makes it through Shabbos. Sure enough, they find out that the fire was going and it stopped before his factory. Right? The Rebbe's about Mephis. He says, no, this person has a candle factory, paraffin and candle factory. He couldn't handle it that his factory is going to be destroyed. And I saw that he keeps on fainting, he's going to die. It must be that's not his Nisayan. Because if it was his Nisayan, he'd be able to live through it. And therefore I realized, says the Kotzker, that there's no way that his factory was burnt, and that's why I was able to tell him that. And this, of course, is a very important lesson for us. Because very often what we think our obstacles are really stepping stones. What we think, because Baruch is putting things in front of us to stop us and to hold us back, the truth is, they are really, really stepping stones. And this happens all the time. You know, there was this uh, sailor who was trying to get a promotion in the Navy. So he's there and his superior brings him on the boat. And he says, okay, sailor, what would you do if there was a storm coming from the north? I would take an anchor and throw it in. Well, what would you do if there was a storm coming from the south? I'd take another anchor and throw it in. Well, what would you do if there was a storm coming from the east? Well, take an anchor and throw it in. And every time he says there's a storm coming, I'll throw an anchor. And finally the captain says, Sailor, where are you getting all these anchors from? He says, Sir, the same place you're getting all these storms from. These are what happens. Things go on in life and things constantly are happening to us. But it's so important for us to remember when these things happen, that the one word Hashem never says is oops. Hashem never says, oh, why is that guy there? That's not what's supposed to happen. If you're somewhere, it's because that's where you're supposed to be. And imagine a person's in a play. You go on stage, everything was tailor-made exactly for you. You have to play your part. Says the Zayar, before Neshama is created, he's taken into a suit store. Or it looks like a suit store. And he tries on different suits. He tries on these parents. He tries on this neighborhood. He tries on these siblings. Because he knows what he has to accomplish as an Ashama. And he takes all those things and he puts his package together. He says, okay, he goes to the checkout. This is my package. And now he's born with that package. Because he knows up there what he has to accomplish. We come down here, of course, we have a different understanding of it. And therefore, every time a person finds himself in a situation, he should know that that situation is not, the purpose of an assignment is not to figure out how do I get out of it, but how do you grow through it. As the saying goes, you know, life isn't waiting for the storm to pass, it's learning how to dance in the rain. You have to go and use something for our benefit. Rav Hoinberg, who was a Shiva of Eish, Eish tremendous, tremendous person, he used to go around to colleges to try to get people to go to yeshiva, to go learn what it's like to have a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is in the 70s. Baal Tshuva movement wasn't Hashem, what it is today. And he would go around, he's a very charismatic person, he would go from university to university. At one time, he was in university, and he was speaking to about 400 students, boys and girls, teenagers, in college, all about going to yeshiva, you have to go to yeshiva, get a relationship with Hashem. The speech was over, and everyone leaves, and about 30 people crowd around of Noyach, extremely charismatic person, and they're talking, also the one guy says, Rabbi, you're 100% right, you tell them, 
Every single Jew has to go to yeshiva. So Noach looks at this guy. He's got multiple body piercings, long braided hair, tattoos all over the place, and says, "Oh, so you're going to go to yeshiva?" So he looks at the rabbi. He says, "No, I'm not going to yeshiva." He says, "Why not? You just said everyone has to go to yeshiva." He says, "Rabbi, me and he goes like this. Me and God, we're tight." So Noach looks at him and says, "What do you mean you're tight?" He says, "God does miracles for me." So Noach realizes either this guy's got an interesting story, or he's in that case. He says, really, what miracles does God do for you? He says, I'll tell you. You know how it is after high school, people start to travel all over the place. Well, me and my buddies, we couldn't afford to go to Europe or to the Far East. So me and 12 friends, we're bike aficionados. We all have our own Harley Davidsons, and we decided we're going to travel across the country on our bikes. And that's what we did for months. We were traveling across the country, camping, driving. We were having the time of our lives. We came to Mount Whitney, very, very tall mountain, and we started to go up the mountain, round and around and around. Three quarters of the way up, the road stops. You can't go up anymore. You got to park, whatever your vehicle there, and you can walk up more by foot. And they have a, a rest area over there, a store, you can buy some supplies, some food. And that's what we did. We went there, we parked our bikes, we climbed to the top of the mountain, we had a campfire. We had a few beers, then a few more, and then a few more. We sang, and we fell asleep. I woke up 5 o'clock in the morning. The sun was just starting to come up. It was gorgeous. I couldn't go back to sleep. I decided to walk down, get on my bike, and go for a ride. I walk down, place is silent. I get on my bike, and I start zipping around the road as fast as I can. The wind blowing in my face, sun coming up, it was beautiful. All of a sudden, I take a turn. There's this big truck making its way up for its once-a-month once delivery to that store. I right away realize I got a problem. I can go to the right and maybe stay off. Now there's a cliff on the side. It went down a few thousand feet. I can try to get by him. I can try to go on the left side and between the truck and the rock. Or I can go straight and become flying his windshield. So I decided I'm going to try to go to the right and stay on the road. The truck's trying to go to the left. Couldn't stop in time. And I'm going and all of a sudden I couldn't make it. The bike slipped off. Went flying down. Crashed and exploded. So I'm looking at this guy. It's, he says, oh, one detail. On the side of the mountain there was a tree growing. And when the bike went flying off I got caught on my jacket. And I got caught in this tree. Nothing happened. The truck driver stops. He comes running over to look. sees the explosion. He looks down. And he sees me there. He pulls me up. I have a scratch. So he looks over at Noach and he says, Tell me, Rabbi, who do you think put that tree there for me? Isn't that God? So God and me, we're tight. He does miracles for me. Why do I have to go to Yeshiva for? So Noach looks at him. Now there's 30, 40 people listening. And Noach knows he's got only one shot to make this good for everybody else. And Rev looks at him and says, you know, you're 100% right. God put that tree over there. But tell me, who do you think sent that truck to throw you off the mountain, if not God? He put the tree there, but he also sent that truck there. Now why would God do that? And Rev Noah said, why would God throw you up on one hand in the air and catch you? Why is he doing that? He wants to get your attention. Of all people, he wants you to go to yeshiva. He wants to have a relationship with you. And that's why you should go.
And the truth is, that's what's with us. Every time something happens with us, every time we're going through something, it's the Karz Baruch Hu being metapal with us. And Karz Baruch Hu is being metapal with us for one reason. He wants to get closer to us. But he can't do it. We're the ones that have to do it. And when you go through a serious situation, you have to remember what happened with the Vukhanetzar. As I said, the Vukhanetzar was singing Shira to Hashem. And the Shira was so beautiful, there was danger, it was going to eclipse the Shira of David and Malach. So Malach came and he slapped him. And he stopped saying Shira. And the Kutzker asked, that doesn't seem to be fair. Just because his Shira was going to be better than David and Malach, you stop him? That's like, it's cheap. So he explained, no, no, no. He goes to sing Takarish Baruch when you're on top of the world. That's no kun, it's no big deal. Hashem says, I want to see how you're going to say Shira after you suffer a slap. After you suffer, suffer a slap in the face, are you going to still sing Shira? And Takanibuchanetzer didn't. And that's how we have to look at it always when all these things go on to us. Now, of course, we dive in every day, lately, day in the sun. We don't want in the sun. David Amalekh came over to Kaddish Baruch and says, Hashem, how come the Yidin are saying Elkei Avram, Elkei Yitzchak, Elkei Yaakov, but they're not saying Elkei David? I want them to say Elkei David. So the Gemara says, Kaddish Baruch tells David, what do you mean? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they all were tested. You weren't tested. So David says, fine, so test me. So Hashem says, it's a difficult thing to test. He says, don't test me. He says, fine. I'll test you, and I'll even warn you what your test will be about. It'll be about Arias. And sure enough, he had the test with Bathsheba. And later on, David said, How come nobody was there to stuff my mouth so I should stop speaking and asking and ask to be tested? Nobody asked to be tested. Lately, Dana said, We don't want the test. But if we get the test, the Kurdish Baruch was giving it to us, it's only because the Kurdish Baruch has faith in us that we can go and we can. We can withstand that test and we can go and accomplish. Of course it's difficult. But we have to know that the way a pearl grows is by a little piece of sand getting stuck inside the oyster. And the oyster is irritating, being irritated by it. So it starts to coat it and coat it and coat it in order that it shouldn't be bothered by it. And that's how we get a pearl. Without that agitation, we wouldn't have anything. And that's the same with us. That's what Kodesh Baruch Hu wants, wants from us. And we can do it. As a title this year, whether a person, you think you can, or whether you think you can't, you're right. It's all up to you if you think you can do it or not. You know, the, when, when Pilem and Leiv Lachem were going around, they're still doing today, Baruch Hashem, and getting people to come to Yeshiva, to, to send their kids to schools, they were in Netanya once, and they managed to convince a boy, a young boy, 11 year old, to come at night to learn. And he came for a few weeks, and then all of a sudden he stopped coming. They didn't know exactly where he lived, but he wasn't coming. Two weeks later, the kid shows up, in the, in the, it was a kail, the kid shows up in the kail, in his bathing suit, and sandals. And he walks inside, okay, I'm ready to learn. They look at him, why are you coming? Where were you? Why are you coming? He says, my father found out that I was coming to learn. And he was very upset with me. See, he told me, I cannot leave the house and I'm going to go learn. And he didn't let me go. So I was stuck in the house. I had to go learn already. So I put on my bathing suit. I put on my sandals. I told him I'm going to the beach. And he let me leave the house. So I'm here to learn now. 
Where's the little kid get this from? Where's the little kid get the gumption to do such a thing? Because he loves Hashem. And he realizes that that is how he can get close to Hashem. Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu can't do it for us. The Kodesh Baruch Hu is like a coach. He can train you, he can give you all the tools to do it, but at the end of the day, you have to run the race. The Kodesh Baruch Hu is on the side. As the Pasuk says, I'll give you a chayim v'amavis, the sattel v'necha, a bracha v'akvala, v'acharta v'chayim. Hashem's on the side cheering us on. Choose the right thing. But you got to do it. He cannot run the race for you. And we should never shortchange ourselves. As we said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. If you think you can do it, then you can do it. If you decide you can't do it, then you can't do it. That's the way people are. You know, for the lifetime of humanity, everybody knew that a person cannot run a mile in less than four minutes. That was standard. Everyone knew that. Until this guy, Roger Bannister, he decided he's going to do it. Make a long story short, he managed to do it. He ran around. In three minutes, 59.4 seconds. The crowd was so mesmerized by this, that when the announcer said the word three, three minutes, he didn't even get to say the rest of how much time it took, and the place exploded. How was he able to do it? So later on in his interview, he explained that, of course he trained. You can't just sit back on the couch and eat donuts and hope to do it. But he trained, but he also envisioned himself all the time. He envisioned himself running and watching the clock they didn't have digital clocks then. But watching the clock, that he can go and he can beat the time. And sure enough, on May 6, 1954, he was able to do it. Amazingly, since then, it's now the standard in any uh, high school athlete. You want to get anywhere, you've got to do the four-minute mile. How is that possible? Because until then, it was impossible to do. Someone, so, someone showed, it is possible. They say a similar story with a guy named George, George Bernard Dancy. George Bernard Danzig was in the University of California in Berkeley, and he was a doctoral candidate. And one of the courses he was taking was a graduate level course in statistics. And he had a very, very strict teacher. Everyone made sure to show up to that teacher on time. Well, one day he was late, and he shows up, and he sees already the teacher is already lecturing, the homework's on the board, and now he's in trouble because he doesn't know how to do it. So he's sitting there taking all the notes, writes down the homework, and the class is over, and he goes back to the dorm. He starts to do his homework. Most of it he's able to do, smart fellow. On two problems, he's stuck, he can't do it. But he realizes he was a fool. He came late, the teacher explained it, and that's it, now he's stuck. He spent a good few hours doing it, figured out how to do it, or what he thought was the right answer, he wrote it down. The next day he comes to class, gives it to the professor. A week later, the professor calls him over and says, What did you do here? So, I don't know, I did it. I, I hope I did it right. He says, These two problems that I put on the board, that wasn't homework. Those were two unproven statistical theories that were not able to be proven. I just put it on the board to tell the class that these things are so difficult they can't be proven. But you were able to prove them. And sure enough, they're named after him, the Danzig theorems, because he was able to prove them. And the reason why he was able to do it, because he wasn't in class when the teacher said that they're unprovable. So no one told him that it can't be done. He thought he came late, the teacher explained it, he better get it done, if he wants to pass the course. And that's what he did. Just imagine, if you were in charge of deciding the laning for the year. You're in charge. 
You're in charge. You're the whole thought. All of you. You're going to make up the laning. Let's say for Rosh Hashanah. So if I were to ask you, what would you choose for laning for Rosh Hashanah? Kriyas Yamsuf, maybe Briyas Ha'ilam would fit. The world's being created. Kabbalah Satira. Why is it that whoever was in charge, the Rabbanim chose Sarah and Avram having a child? What does that have to do with anything? An explanation, okay, of course she was remembered on, on Rosh Hashanah, but the fact is that this was the end of their lives. She's 90, he's 100. There are no Jews. And it's not going to happen. And Hashem is showing there's no such thing. There's no such thing that even Avram and Sarah can have a child. And we stand in front of Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. Kedavim for this, Kedavim for that, well that's too much. There's no such thing that's too much. A friend of mine told me once, he was in a taxi in Eretz Yishol, and the driver turns to him and says, you know who Clint Eastwood is? So he said, yeah. So he says, Israel is Clint Eastwood. So he looks and says, well, what does that mean? He says, yeah, in the movies, Clint Eastwood, no matter what happens. No matter how many people are getting shot and blown up at the end of the movie, Clint Eastwood's always alive. He says, same with the Jews. I don't know what's happening, what's going on, but I can tell you the end of the story. The end of the story, the Jews are around. So he said, on Rosh Hashanah, we lane how Kozborah who gave Avram and Sarah a child at such an age to show nothing's impossible. So what do we do? How do we get to such a level? So it's amazing. Kozborah who tells us, we have to love Hashem. How can you tell someone, you have to love me? How do you do that? You have to love me. It's, it's an emotion. You can't... Terence says, before we say, before Hashem tells us we have to love Him, Hashem tells us seven times in Ahavarava how much He loves us. Hashem is telling us how much He loves us. Once we hear seven times how much He loves us, we can go and love Hashem. I'll end with this. There was a couple named Nachman and Dasi. Nachman and Dasi got married and they had tremendous plans what they were going to do and what they were going to accomplish. Time went on and they realized that the script they wrote for their play is not happening. They were married a few years, they had no kids. They were married a few more years, they still had no kids. And then, when they were married for almost 20 years, they came back from their final doctor appointment where the doctor said, there's no way it's going to happen. And by this time, they already went to all the doctors, to the Rabbanim, to the Kvarim, the stock. They did everything, and they realized now it's not happening. They had a Rebbe. They went to the Rebbe, and they were crying with him, and he was commiserating with them. What could he tell them? And they cried for a while. When they finished, Dasi turns to them and says, You know, we have so much love to give, maybe we should adopt somebody. He said, Fine, let's adopt someone. They said, you know what, let's get a child from Eretz Yisrael. They called the adoption agency in Eretz Yisrael, the government, and they're on a list. 17 weeks later, they get a phone call. We have somebody for you. We have a little girl for you. Come to Israel in a few days. A lot of paperwork, and we'll get this done. Okay, they're very excited. They go shopping. They're arranging everything. They're getting a little girl after 20 years. They come to Eretz Yisrael. They put their stuff down in the hotel. They fresh themselves up. They go straight to the adoption agency. They come inside, and they each have a stack of papers they have to sign. Makes a mortgage, looks like you know, you're buying a chocolate bar. Paper, they're signing, they're signing, they're signing. After about 40 minutes, they're finally finished. And the lady said, okay, we're done. We're going to go next door to meet your beautiful little daughter. Just one more paper you have to sign. Gives them a paper. 
And on the paper there, there's a question that says, list the four things you love the most. So he looks at his wife, and she's thinking, and she's saying, here's no problem. He takes his pen, he writes down, number one, Hashem. Number two, Dasi, his wife. Number three, learning terror. Number four, basketball. He looks at his wife, she uh, takes a little longer, she finishes writing, and they finish the hand in it, turn, she says, no, now turn it over and sign the paper. He turns it over, and he looks at it, and he drops his pen. And his wife looks him, and looks down, and says, with my signature, I pledge to love my new adopted child even more than the four items listed on the other side of the page. And she's looking at him, and he's looking at her, and he's like, I can't sign this. I can't sign that I love someone more than Hashem. Not that it won't happen that way, but to sign such a paper, I, I can't do it. And the social worker's looking at them and says, Are you crazy? Just sign the paper, we're done already. You're the girl's next door, just. Says, I, I can't sign such a paper. She looks at him and says, You think anyone's going to read these papers? As soon as you sign it, goes to the file, no one's going to ever see it. Just, just sign the paper. You've gone so far already. And he's not signing. He says, if you don't sign this paper, you're crazy. And there's no adoption agency in, in Israel is going to give you a kid. And again, he looks at his wife, and they both stood up and they walked out. You can imagine that they're crying, how much they're crying. They get into their cab, they go back to the hotel, they change their tickets, they're going back. On the way back, they said, let's just go down in the cave of Rochel. They went there, they couldn't even formulate the words. They were just crying the whole time. They come back. They went to New York. They went straight to his Rebbe. And they broke down crying. And everyone's crying. He turns to his Rebbe and says, Tell me, did I do the right thing? Is that the right thing to do? So the Rebbe says, Look, I, I don't know if that was the right thing. I don't know if I would have done that. I don't know if that's the right thing or not. But I know one thing. You do something because you love Hashem, you can't lose out. You can't lose out. You do something because you love Hashem. And we all know this story because Mamash, 13 months later, by this bris of their child, the Rebbe got up and said this story. And that's what he said with this story. The person goes and have that, has that love for Kaddish Baruch Hu, it can't go wrong. And therefore we learn from these parashiyas that when Kaddish Baruch Hu sends things to us, it's because he wants us close to him, and he wants all these obstacles to be used as stepping stones. Have your child. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.